welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome uh, all those that are watching on the internet and those that are watching on TV and of course all the campuses that watch this. We all take our turns uh, watching on uh, video and, and being a part of the multi-site and using technology and I'm excited for that. We are finishing up the series called Original Slang. I have enjoyed this a ton and uh, one of the things you may not know as we close out on this last uh, slang term um, Really, the presidents of the United States have a tradition that they do that kind of is tied to our term today. When one president is voted and doesn't get back into office, but the new one comes in, there's a tradition that the outgoing president gives the new president three envelopes. He said, when you face a crisis, open envelope one. When you face the second crisis, open envelope two. When you face the third crisis, open envelope three. So the president will receive this. It's just like this. President Obama, I'm sure he received them. He got the first envelope and he got to the first crisis and he opened it up and it said, blame me. So he started blaming President Bush for all the problems. (laughs) Then he got to his next crisis and he opened it up and it said, blame my party. So he started blaming the Republicans. Then he got to his third crisis, and the envelope said, get ready, write three envelopes. (laughs) It's all about who's going to be the scapegoat, isn't it? Who's going to be the scapegoat? Who are we going to blame for the problems? And that's what we're talking about here with this last term, the scapegoat. We want to blame others. How many know that politicians are great with that? It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's that party's fault. It's their fault. It's everybody else's fault, but it's not my fault. Matter of fact, you know, with sports, we found that we have to have scapegoats. You know, it's our quarterback's fault, or it's our coach's fault, or how many know when a team's doing bad, you try to figure out, like, who is the offensive coordinator? It's the offensive coordinator's fault. I mean, we blame anybody we can, and if we can't find someone on the team, how many know we blame the refs? Maybe that's just a Viking thing. But anyways, all right. <laughs> In the workplace, we, we, we blame people. You know, who's going to be the scapegoat? Doesn't go exactly like we thought. Who's going to take the blame? It's a really popular thing. Matter of fact, somebody uh, at our church, I can't remember who it was, but they knew I was preaching on this, and they gave me this little goat, and it said scapegoat, and it says, I forgot the meeting. I was late for work. I lost the report. We were over budget. We missed the deadline. We lost the client, and it's the little scapegoat. It tells all the different excuses that we use when we want to blame someone else. It's become common. Matter of fact, there's a modern term that we uh, use. How many know the modern term? We threw them under the bus. How many know that term? 
You know, we threw him under the bus and people will say like, don't worry, we were talking about you, but don't worry, I did not throw you under the bus. Being loyal, I, I didn't blame you, I didn't throw you under the bus. As a matter of fact, uh, Cindy Lauper is credited with saying that term. She said, you're either in music industry, you're either in the bus or under the bus. You know, so that's kind of where they think that comes from. But there's this wanting within all of us to blame someone else for our shortcomings. To blame someone else for anything that goes wrong, whether it's their fault or not. And most of the time, how many know that it's not usually their fault? But we blame them because it's convenient. We want to get it off of us and onto someone else's. Don't blame me. It was them. It was them. It was that person. They are the one that we're going to blame. They're the scapegoat. Matter of fact, it's been said the person smiling in a crisis probably has figured out who they're going to blame. That's probably what's going on because they figured it out because we just want to get it over to there. We've got to get it on to someone else. Now, this term is one of the terms, again, in our series, Original Slang, that really inspired me to do this series because I just realized the historical significance of this term. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Leviticus 16, but I'm not going to get there for a while, but just you can turn there. Um, and how many will just be honest? Leviticus is about where you stop in your one-year reading plan. You know, you get <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, we've got the miracles. All of a sudden, Leviticus, we find those laws and those rules and those regulations. And all of a sudden, the next day you're going, is there a shorter version of the Bible reading plan? So Leviticus, that's where we're going. And uh, we are going to look at scapegoats. And I want to say this, that um, this is going to be a, a deeper teaching. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is one you may have to re-watch online. This is going to be one that you may have to take notes with. Um, if you have that ability, go ahead and do that. Um, go ahead and get your iPad out, your iPhone, your smartphone, your notepad, whatever you want to do. And it's interesting. I thought about this. Um, when you have a teaching like this, it, it's in-depth and people want to record it. I had somebody the other day, they said, check this out. I have my iPad and I have this app. Um, I, I took notes while you were teaching and in this app, it recorded what you said. And so I have the recording of what you said synced up to my notes right here. And it's pretty cool. And I thought the church has come a long way. How many remember when the people used to come and sit on the front row with a tape recorder? How many know that? And all of a sudden the preacher would start to preach and they'd push record with their little tape recorder and hold it out there. Am I dating myself? Okay, and they'd, they'd do that. They'd hold. How many know that the iPad has just made everything we do cooler, right? That's all it's done. And so if you're going to take notes, do it, get ready. This is going to be one of those teachings. Now, the only place the scapegoat is mentioned is in Leviticus 16. It's the only place in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you take the Hebrew words for scapegoat, it actually means the go-away goat. The go-away goat or goat go away. So that's where they get this term from and, and they put it together and they said it's like a scapegoat. It's the one that's getting out of here, the one that we're blaming. And I want to let you know what was going on because there was a sacrifice that involved two goats. And we're going to read about this and I've got to set the stage for you. In history, before Jesus, when God wanted his relationship with his people, the Israelites, they would have to do all sorts of sacrifices. They would have to sacrifice animals for their sins because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so because of the things that they did wrong, the sins that they did, they would have to sacrifice an animal 
and then that blood would be a way for them to be forgiven of their sins. It's very bloody, it's very gruesome, and we live in such a, a sanitized world, don't we? I mean, we can go to the store and buy pre-cooked food. It, it's not even like uh, bleeding a little, it's, it's, it's pre-cooked. It's, and, and if you look, sometimes even our, our butchers will take meat and they'll put like an absorbing thing underneath it so this little towel will absorb any fluid because you know, people don't want to see that. It's so sanitized. But you've got to understand, before we became such a sanitized culture, there was a lot of blood that was going on. You'd have to go kill your own meals and, and you'd have to go and do these sacrifices. So there was a lot of blood and we've become so sanitized and sometimes I wonder if the sanitization of our society has also made us just a little closer, a little further away from the gospel understanding because we get so removed from blood. But priests would have to make sacrifices. God said, I want to be in right relationship with you. And when you break the rules, when you sin, you have to bring animals in to the priests. And the priests are the chosen people that I will have that will offer these sacrifices before me. And they would offer sacrifices every single day, all the time. All the time. So this is the culture. This is what's going on. And they'd have at least two lambs sacrificed every day to remind the people of their sins. Now with the sacrifice that we're going to talk about today, with the scapegoat, the only person that could do this sacrifice was the high priest. There was one priest that was over all the other priests. And in this case, it was Aaron. He was the only one that could make this sacrifice that we're going to talk about. And it was the Day of Atonement, uh, commonly known today as Yom Kippur. All right? And on the Day of Atonement, uh, the priest would make a sacrifice, and there would be multiple. Matter of fact, on that one day, he'd have to do 15 sacrifices. Okay? So it was a busy day for him. And on that day, he would take two goats, one would be sacrificed, and one would become the scapegoat. All right? So track with me here. On this day, he was going to go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place where God's presence was. And in that Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant was there. If you are familiar at all with Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was similar to that. Not exactly, okay? But it looked similar to the gold ark that the movie depicts, all right? So God said, my presence is there. You will put the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies, the holiest place right here. That's where it's going to be. And there's going to be a curtain that will separate this area. And one day a year, the high priest will be able to come into this spot and make a sacrifice for all of your sins. One day a year. That was it. And so the priest in preparation, the high priest in preparation for this day, realizing that he was going into the presence of God, would go ahead and he would cleanse himself and he would take a bath. And this bath from head to toe would be ceremonial. It would just say, I'm getting cleansed. God, I want to be cleansed to be in your presence. So this is what's going on. And, and he's getting cleansed. He's saying, God, cleanse me. I, I want to be in your presence. And then what he would do is he would take off all of his fancy clothes because the priests wore fancy clothes. 
Okay, they had very fancy clothes. It was gold and purple and blue. And there was uh, precious stones and embroidery. If you think my shirts are crazy, I mean, come on now. They had some crazy stuff. It was gold and, and, and embroidered. It was beautiful. But on this day, he would take off all the fancy stuff and he would just wear white. All white. He would humble himself. White was a a color of humility. And so he'd put on this white and he'd be cleansed and he'd be pure. And he was saying, it's all about you, God. It's not about anything else. Nobody should be distracted with anything else. On this day, I will wear white. It will be pure. It will be holy. It will be humbling. It will be all about you. Can you see the seriousness of this day? It's just building. So this is what's going on in this moment. And before he would go into the presence of God, he would sacrifice a bull. And when he would sacrifice this bull, he would say, this is for my sins and for my family's sins. And God, please cover all of our sins. Because he was supposed to go into that meeting with God without any sins. And how many know we're all sinners? And he knew that too. So he'd say, God, the bull has been sacrificed. That covers me and my family. And I am now coming into your presence, right from that into your presence. I'm thinking holy thoughts. No sin opportunities right now. I am focused. I am focused. And so he'd go into that place and he'd burn incense because that would be like a cloud saying you can't really look at God in his face. You can't really be that close to him. You gotta have incense and smoke there. And so there's a lot of ritual going on. And then he would take the blood of one of the goats, the first goat, and he would sprinkle it seven times to say let the sins of the people be covered by this blood. Okay, so now you get this. So I've set the stage for you. Leviticus 16 Chapter, chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Then I'm going to jump to 20 through 22, and then 26, and then 29 through 30, all right? It'll be on the screen. Aaron, now remember, Aaron is the high priest. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. There's our goat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and at the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall then send the goat away in the, de- in the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Verse 26, the man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. 
Verse 29, this will be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourself and not do any work, whether native born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Two goats, two goats. The priest is there. He's all pure. He's ready. He takes it, casts lots. This one dies this one lives. He kills the first goat in front of everyone. Again, very bloody. Uh, and again, I, I thank the Lord that we don't have to do this today. But in their day, they had to because Jesus had not yet become the perfect sacrifice. And if you haven't caught this now, let me just open it up for you. This is a type and representation of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This is a type and representation. It's a view in the Old Testament of what Jesus is going to do, but they haven't seen Jesus yet. We have the luxury now of knowing what Jesus did on the cross and looking back at this moment. So I hope you can understand all the symbolism and all the sneak peek that God is giving into what's coming to these people. So the, the first goat dies and is sacrificed and all the people watch this happen. They watch it die and they realize something very strong there. And then they see the second goat and they realize the second goat's going to be the scapegoat. Now, let me just tell you this. There are some $3 words that uh, theologians have for this. Propitiation is the first goat. Expiation is the second goat. How many are glad that I don't use $3 words? Okay, let me help you out. The first goat is the essence of what's going on in the sacrifice. The second goat is the effect of what's going on in the sacrifice. All right? I'm going to take it down another notch. The first goat says our sins are covered. The second goat says our sins are forgiven and forgotten. How many like that? Real good. So forgiven, forgotten, covered, that's the difference. First goat, the blood covers the sins. The second goat, our sins are forgiven and forgotten. God does not remember them against us anymore. Now the first goat was a, a sin offering and it had to die. It had to die so that the blood could cover that. And if you know your Bible at all, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It kind of makes that whole scripture just jump alive, doesn't it? Because you think they'd have to see the goat die every year. The goat dies. The wages of sin is death. Every time we sin, we've got to come here every year and remember that something's got to die so that we can have our sins covered. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why there had to be a sacrifice. So every time they saw an animal die, they'd realize, man, my sin. That thing had to die because of my sin. Now the second goat, scapegoat, the priest would take it and face it towards everybody. All right, everybody look at your goat. They'd hold the goat out there. Then he'd lay hands on the goat and symbolically transfer all the sins to the goat. Now, I got to tell you, there are 613 laws that they could break. Imagine if he prayed for every one of them. And he's praying, but let's just say he prayed for a while. Let's say he took this serious. 
Could you imagine you're watching this goat and he's holding the head and he's praying for all the sins and then he says, a sin you've done. Oh God, we transfer adultery to the goat. And all of a sudden you're just, oh man. And God, we, tra- we transfer lying and dishonesty. Oh, and Lord, those that have stolen, God, we transfer theft to the goat. And every time he's saying the sins, you're, oh, oh, it's hitting you. It's hitting you. And this whole process is going on. It's all being transferred. And this whole thing's going on. All this. And every time they're realizing, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Lord, I needed that one transferred too. Take that one off me too. Take that one off me too. Take that one. I mean, you can imagine. And it's, it's amazing. The scripture says, you will put all their sins, all their rebellion, all their wickedness. Now, it's interesting because you got goat one, when he'd, when he'd bring the blood into the this holy of holies, nobody could see what was going on. That was like between the high priest and God. But with the second goat, with the scapegoat, everyone could see this with the hand being on there, with the hands being on it, so they could all see that and they could all watch it. And then when this was done, this, this heavy moment was going on. It, the goat took all the sins, and it reminds me of a couple of scriptures. Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Everything we had was placed on him. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sin of us all. It's on Jesus just an amazing thing and all of a sudden they did a handoff to this guy they said all right it's your job to take the goat and just a small thing it was usually a gentile guy that would take it at a certain point and because uh, you know he wasn't an israelite they say you take this thing get out of here and then you bring it back now it's interesting because there is some symbolism in that too that a, a non-israelite took the goat out okay and had to do the dirty work but then could clean himself up and come back in and everybody would be happy it's kind of neat little just another little symbolism there but they would give this to the guy, and he would take the goat for about 12 miles. 12 miles out into the wilderness, away from the people, 12 miles. And then when he would get there, he would get out of here. Go, go, leave. And you know what that was symbolic of? That was symbolic of our sins are gone. Every bit, God says they're gone. Micah 7.19 says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Psalms 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Man, that's good news. So that was a good news thing going on. They, the person brings the goat out there, gets out there and says, go, get out of here. Now imagine this for a minute. Imagine this for a minute, because we don't know what happened to the goat. The guy was not instructed to kill the goat. The guy was just instructed to get the goat way far away so it would wander and not come back. And so you can imagine, he's out there with the goat, and he's walking along with the goat. Goat's on a rope, right? He's got to take him with. So he's bringing him with. And also he gets there, takes the goat off the rope, and goes, go, get, get. And the goat's probably like, uh, 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 I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, we've been walking a long ways. It kind of was bonding. Uh, <laughs> little bonding going on. And then, get, 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 go, 
whether he hit it with a stick or threw a rock at it. And the goat's like, wait, 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 you know, why are you turning on me? Why are you turning on me? Why? I mean, I thought we were in this together. I mean, and you can imagine, I mean, just for a moment, does that not seem like Jesus in that moment? The people that loved him the dearest all of a sudden turned on him. Get out of here. Go. Go. Just a little symbolism in the crucifixion of Jesus and what was going on. So all of a sudden that goat's left to wander. We don't know what's going on with it. It's out there. Does it die? We don't know. Kind of feel sad for the goat, don't you? I know I did. I read it and I was like, oh, poor goat. And then I remembered goat number one and I was like, oh, this has got a better deal. I mean, <laughs> but I did feel bad for the goat. I felt bad for the goat. And I can just tell you when I was studying and preparing this, it's like the Holy Spirit said, don't feel bad for the goat. Feel bad for what Jesus went through. Jesus never knew any sin, and he took all of our sin upon him. Those closest to him betrayed him. And he was betrayed with a kiss. Somebody that's supposed to be his friend sold him out. And he took all this, and he took all the pain, and in his moment of dying, he's like, Father, why have you forsaken me? All the sins of the world, everything we did wasn't symbolically put on him. It was all put on him. Every bit of it was put on him, all of our sin. And when you think about that, and when you look at the cross, your heart ought to break. Your heart ought to break. You ought to think, Lord, you did that for me. You took everything for me. My heart breaks for this. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. I'm so glad the cross never loses its power. I'm so glad that you took my sins. I I didn't deserve this. Thank you, God. Thank you for this. This is an amazing thing that we get a glimpse into what happened with Jesus. So then this guy leaves the goat and comes back in. And he comes back and he cleans himself. And when he cleans himself, then he's allowed to enter the camp. And when he, allow, when he comes into the camp and he's all cleansed, everybody cheers. Because they realize the goat is gone. It's gone gone and how many know the joy when you found Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you realized your sins were gone and you're like gone gone this is amazing they're gone and so that's what was happening they were celebrating the sins were gone the goat is gone and then what would happen is the high priest would then go and get cleaned up again one more time and then he'd put on the royal robes and stuff again and come out and the people would cheer. Yes, now we're back, we're back, we're forgiven. The priest is wearing the victorious clothes. Is that not symbolic of Jesus coming back from the dead and he comes out and he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave? And so they'd cheer him and they'd escort him to his house that night and they'd be cheering and they'd be singing and they'd be celebrating. And so when we're in praise and worship in our churches and maybe you're visiting or maybe you're wondering why in the world do these people praise so much? Because we've been forgiven, We're celebrating that. It's just not formality when we come together. Like, let's sing a couple songs, pass time, let people come late. They kind of get in before the offering. That's not what's going on. We are thrilled with what Jesus has done. And if you're not thrilled with what Jesus has done, look at the cross again. Look at the cross again. 
It was an amazing thing. The scapegoat's gone that we covered, forgotten, forgiven. Amazing thing. But the Bible says this in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, year out. Never makes a dent in the sin problem. Here's the thing. The priest had to do it all over again next year. So they'd celebrate that day and all of a sudden their sins would start building up and they'd make some sacrifices and more. And all of a sudden they'd get to that day and they'd realize, we're bad, we're bad, we're bad. And the priest would have to do it over and over. Can you imagine how that would wear on you? Just wear on you. It says, as a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Man, Jesus did it all one time. One time, two goats every year. Jesus said one sacrifice. Once I all covered, done, taken care of. I've, I've forgiven you. I've covered your sin. And the blood of Jesus has covered it. And the, he also says, I've forgiven it. And I don't remember it anymore. Taken care of one time. That's the amazing, beautiful thing now that we celebrate with the cross. And it was symbolically represented with two goats, one of them being the scapegoat. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you are not in on this celebration, if you are not in on the joy of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity. I can't say it any clearer. Jesus Christ died for you. He covered your sins with his blood. It had to happen that way. It's gruesome, I know, but it had to happen that way. And then he says, I've forgiven you and I don't remember them anymore if you ask for forgiveness. All of us who get in on this purifying process and it's by grace. It's by grace. The people would know that watching the goats and those of us that know our sins know how bad we really are and know that Jesus Christ gave us grace to get in and I'm offering it to you today. So today I'm asking, are you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? Do you understand what he did? Because your sins separated you from God. Your sins made you a stranger, made you an enemy. But Jesus Christ paid the price so that you could be forgiven. And I'm asking, are you ready? So I want everyone here to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you to... Think about this for a moment. Do you know Jesus Christ? Was praise and worship meaningful to you? Was it a joyous celebration or was it strange? You were wondering why these people were were doing that. When I shared this sermon today, did your heart light up because you said, I identify with that. I identify that so good. Now I understand what Jesus did. Or did you say, wow, I wish Jesus could do that for me. If that was the answer, you're saying, I wish Jesus could do it for me. I know it was a deeper teaching, but I really think you'll understand it. Jesus is that scapegoat. You, you get to place all of it on him. He said, I willingly take it all. And unlike you trying to deflect it to somebody that doesn't want it, he said, I'll take it. I'll take it. I do not deserve it, but I will take it. I will take it. And so many people here 
have already had their sins forgiven, but it's your opportunity now. And if that's you, you're saying, Pastor Rob, include me. I want to get in on this purifying process. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I realize what he did on the cross. It makes sense, especially understanding the symbolism of this and the substitution. Lord, I I want in on this. Lord, I want in. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to close the service with a prayer with you. I won't embarrass you, but I will ask you in just a moment to raise your hand and look up at me and then I'll acknowledge your hand and then you can put it down. But I've been praying for this day. I've been praying for this moment where people would give their life to Jesus and say, I get it. I get it. I understand it. I want in on that. So if that's you and you're here and you want to be included in the closing prayer right now, I ask that you'd raise up your hand. I will acknowledge it. You can look up at me and then you can put it down all across this place. Go ahead and do that right now. If that's you, you're saying, I'm in. I get it. I understand it. I want to be forgiven. Yes, I see that hand. Are there others that would say, I'm in. I'm in. Yes, I want in. Yes, I see your hand. I come into agreement. Yes, right there next to her. Yes, I see your hand. Are there others? You're saying, I'm in. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand in the back. Are there others? Yes, I just saw your hand go up there. Yes. Yes, I come into agreement with you. This is it. Yes, I come into agreement. This is your moment. This is what it's all about. We are praying, those of us that have already had our sins forgiven, had it covered. We are praying for you right now. Some of you are in a moment of decision. Some of you are in a moment of decision. Do I do it? Do I not? Do I do it? Is that really God that's pulling on me? That is God that is pulling on you. And I want to include you in this prayer. So is there anyone else? You just say, Pastor Rob, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. in. Please include me in this closing prayer. This is my opportunity. I want to join the others that have raised their hand tonight. And I'm in. I'm in. Or you can put your hands down. And I want to pray this prayer. And I want to ask that those around you would pray it with you. Because Jesus will forgive you of your sins. We're going to pray it out loud. And I'm going to ask that they would pray it with you. I'll pray and then you repeat it. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins and all that I've done wrong. And I ask for forgiveness. I know you paid the price. You became the sacrifice and the scapegoat. And I received that. Please forgive me and help me to live for you. I believe that when you died on the cross, it paid the price so I could be forgiven. I believe you rose from the dead and you're now victorious, offering this eternal life to me. And I receive it. I pledge to live for you for the rest of my life, celebrating this forgiveness and telling others about you. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for those that have prayed that prayer. They've meant it. It was very real. It was very sincere. They understand the process, but the simplicity of that prayer becomes very real to them as they pray it, believing in faith that it is true. And I pray right now that their faith would grow, their joy would grow, their love for you would grow, and Lord Jesus, you would help them as they follow you. So I thank you for this. I praise you and give you glory and honor for all those that made that decision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Can we give a hand clap for those people that made that decision?